You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast from The Times. I'm Gabriel Marcotti. Now, before we begin, do not forget, you can catch the highlights from every Premier League game before anyone else simply by downloading the Times app to your smartphone. Brief disclaimer, you're not actually catching them before anyone else. If you're actually physically in the ground, presumably you will see the goals first. But you only see the goals from that game, not the other ones. And that is what is so brilliant about the Times app. Now remember, you can also, and I am really excited about this, catch the show live in Liverpool on the 6th of March. That is this Thursday. Imagine that. Myself, Tony Barrett, Tony Evans and Peter Reed up on stage. Tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members and £7.50 for non-members. To book, visit www.ctickets.com slash the times or call 0871-620-4025. This week, I'm particularly excited because we have Tony Barrett again, who I will be seeing on Thursday. Uh, We're joined by James Scowcroft. And, of course, it's Rory K. Smith. Big Wembley Cup final, City and Sunderland. Now, I have to start and uh, start with you, Rory, because mm-hmm. I think we're kindred spirits and admiring the work of one George Colkin. He wrote a wonderful blog on Friday, it was. What will remain is the fact that they went to a Wembley final. And that, in terms of stuff that gets talked about, stuff that gets passed down, that is far more relevant than people saying, oh, look, remember, we were in the Premier League for three straight years and we finished 16th, 14th, and 12th. Is that an excessively romantic George Colkian view? No. I mean, first of all, I think I, think I, I, will, I will concur with your man crush on George Tolkien. Yeah, well, it's not quite that. He is, he's a poet. Yeah, he is a poet, and he, his blog was wonderful, and his stuff from, from, the, from the game itself was wonderful. And I agree completely with you. I think that... I think it was one of the one of the boys at Wigan. Whether it was one of the players said that it might be might even have been Ben Watson said you can get over a relegation if you get relegated, you you can come back up. You get another shot. So yeah, it, it was a blow to Wigan. Say when they when they went down, it'd be a blow to Sunderland if they go down. But you you can recover from it. What the moments of cup finals that those those incidents those those sort of memories they're the mythology of a club. And that's what fans need and that's what fans want. So I know that it's, it sounds desperately romantic and it's not very fashionable and it's probably not realistic. But I, I think football has this danger, this habit, of talking itself into a mindset of saying, well, the cups don't matter, the cups don't matter. They do matter. If you get to the cup final, even if you lose, the Sunderland fans will remember that night in Covent Garden when there were 20,000 of them in the street, which meant it was slightly quieter than normal. <laughs> they will remember the 55 minutes at Wembley when they were winning, the, that idea of of almost, you know, almost being there, of the dream being alive. That's what being a supporter is all about. What the hell is the point of finishing 12th? If you get relegated, you get relegated, deal with it. Rebuild, come again. You'll come back up eventually. James, you, you, you support a, a big club, it's fair to say, that if you're a United supporter, you, you have a different parameter on this. But, but you played for a club that, um, or several clubs that were perhaps in many ways comparable to, to Sunderland. As a as a player, did 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 you experience that? Where you, I mean, did relegation hurt more? I mean, is that something you can get over more than? Well, relegation hurts. Relegation is one of the worst things that can happen. I think as a player, because it, it's your livelihood. It, it's I think it's different being a fan to, to being a player. Or you had that automatic wage cut in your yeah, contract. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So it, so it does hurt. I think the one big thing, and and 
vast majority of football clubs, all the clubs I've played for, a lot of clubs are going to. When you walk into a reception of a football club, and it's probably the nicest part of the ground, vast majority of football clubs will have a big board and it will say honours. Wigan Athletic will have one and it will say FA Cup winners 2013. That will be there for the next 100, 200 years. Relegation, promotions, don't even come up to it. But to compare Manchester United, where Manchester United are at the moment, if you'd say... Do you want to win the League Cup or do you want to finish fourth and qualify in the Champions League? It's almost a similar kind of argument that Arsenal had last year of, well, forget you'd the Cups. Want, you'd rather League, as a United fan, I'm going to ask you this question flat out because you, you set me up here. No, yeah, exactly. Would you, would you rather United had beaten Sunderland and won the League Cup this year and finished sixth? No. You'd rather finish top four? Yeah. Tony, it's not really a secret that you're slightly associated with um, uh, another more successful club, but does it become a, a, a concern? I mean, we've joked about sort of the, you know, Arsene Wenger and his fourth place trophies and, and whatnot. Um, or, or do we in the media make too much of a big deal out of it? Or should we just accept that there are six or seven clubs in this country who are playing one sport and 85 are playing a different one? No, I, I think we should attack the idea with every opportunity because it's just absolute nonsense. You can go back 30 years to the the great Liverpool side which won the League Cup four years in a row but they took the competition seriously. They they put their strongest side up that they possibly could even though they were playing European Cup games twice a month, uh, even though they were winning the European Cup, winning League Championships at that time, they still took that competition seriously. It, it is something that is only been over the last 10, 15 years, it is it is a product of the Champions League. It's a, it's a bad uh, product of the Champions League that the clubs now see top four as being the be-all and end-all. And that's why the attitude of the supporters has changed so much. And I, the, One of the things that I enjoyed most about yesterday was the reaction of the Sissy players. If, if you looked at them on Twitter, they're tweeting pictures yeah. of them with the trophy. They're saying what a great occasion it was. And, and they gave the competition the respect that deserved. And this is Manchester City with everything they've got on. They could have easily done what Arsenal do with this competition, but they haven't. They treat it seriously. And I, I can't remember which of the players it was, but he said, people say it's an easy trophy to win. Go and try and win it. We need to start accepting that these are great. The League Cup is a good competition. The FA Cup is a brilliant competition. If we take it seriously in the media in the stands, if we think this matters, then eventually that the reverse will happen. That will trickle up to the clubs, and they'll think, you know what, people care about this. I actually right. think the League Cup isn't a million miles away from the FA Cup. I, I, I think, I'd, I'd go further, James. I think the last couple of years it's been more entertaining. I and think Barrett's to watch. right. Do you know why that um, is? Though it's just it's just the clubs, the big clubs know they can get it out of the way yeah. by February. Well, we can't really have a debate because I have to be consistent with what I've said all along. We need to move on and actually talk about the actual teams. Right? Why were Sunderland on top for so long? Was it just the early goal? Or why did it feel like they were on top for so long? They were set up well. They had that passion, that that kind of belief that they could do something, a lot of energy. But the problem is against a team like City, I guess, that after a while, after an hour or so, the legs go a little bit. You run out of that initial kind of adrenaline and, and City's extra quality shone through. Ooh, James, why can Yaya Torre strike a ball so well? I wish I knew that. I'd still be playing football if I knew that. Um, that's <laughs> no, one of the goal I mean, of the seasons for me. You, that, that... you took some shots from distance as well, right? You're almost as big as Yaya Torre, uh, now anyway. Um, no, but I'm saying it's like, you're, 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 you're a big, strong guy, right? You Presumably you practice this over and over again. What's the difference between a top, top player like like, like, like Yaya Torre doing this consistently, which, which he does, and, and somebody else? 
Is it is it the mechanics of striking the ball? It's uh, it the- mental strength. So if you look at that moment yesterday, you know Man City are struggling, they're chasing the game, then they need something to that technique that a lot of people go on about Nadri's goal, and it is a great goal. That technique where it comes to you and you can whip the ball with with pace and get it up and over the goalkeeper as it's coming across your body. That is one of the hardest skills in football. Tony might remember this. I've only ever seen it done once, and Stephen Gerrard scored a goal in Marseille away. I don't know if you can remember Tony in the Champions yeah, League. I do, yeah. Um, and, and it was, I think Yaya Torre is his goal of the season, especially at the moment that, that, you know, in such a big game to produce something like that. That is one of the hardest skills is, in football. Is that the flip side of that? Is um, there's, there's a Sunderland player who had a great opportunity to equalise late in the game when it was still 2 1. Um, somebody who was once described as the best British finisher. Um, I stand by that. Okay, so it looked to me and to everybody that. He didn't feel comfortable hitting the ball with his right foot, and so he did this little, like, sort of uncoordinated shimmy. From there, if you're a natural-born finisher, you finish with whatever foot it comes to because it's not... Yeah, but it's confidence, isn't it, as well? I agree with you. It was it, He should have hit, hit it with his right, but it's confidence. But I, I've got, I want to ask Barrett a question. What happens to Fabio Barini next season? Fabio Barini? Yeah. He gets sold. Do you, not think he's, do you not think he's done enough to show that he's, he's worth a, another shot? There's a lot of competition at Liverpool. There, well, there, I, might, be, there might be less. I think I think he listen. He's, they haven't given up on him. He's he's not an Iago Aspas by any means. He he is the player who, who would be third choice and would remain third choice behind Luis Suarez, Daniel Sturridge. But he would be an option. One can play who can play in the wide areas and 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 in the the cup competitions that Liverpool would treat less seriously next season when they are in Europe. He, he will get games, but I just I just think there is a, a feeling at the club that. He's done particularly well at Sunderland, well enough to salvage his reputation and uh, maintain his, his value. And I think Liverpool think that this will be the time when you, you maximise that return and, and cut your losses. When you say Liverpool, do you mean Brendan Rodgers? Because obviously Rodgers had him as a kid at, at, at Chelsea. He, he had him again at Swansea and he had him again at Liverpool. So I'm assuming, you know... He, yeah, but I'll, I'll ask you a question. Sorry to butt in. That that goal he scored yesterday is a fantastic goal. That goal only comes from playing week in, week out. You know that that confidence, that strength he had to brush um, company aside. You know, if you're especially if you're a centre forward, if you're in and out of a team, which if he goes back to Liverpool, he will be. He'll be in and out of the team. He will lose his fitness. He'll lose his confidence. You know, you lose your momentum that you got. Well, but, there, but there are some players who I mean, I'm thinking of. I can think of two Manchester United guys actually who kind of made a whole career out of being sort of super subs, playing the odd game. You know, in, in Chicharito and, and, and Solskjaer, right? So, yeah, but that, that, that's because you were saying Barini cannot be that kind of player. But there, no, there's but a host of players that, you know, lose their way because they don't play every right. week. But we're saying, that's what we're saying. So, so Brendan might believe that he's not that kind of guy. He doesn't have the right skill set to be a squad player. He either starts and maybe he's not good enough to start for Liverpool or. I, I, I think it's complex. I think the United comparison is a bit unfair just because Solskjaer would have been getting those kind of chances in the team that was dominating. Games, so he basically just had to be the man in the box. If you were at Liverpool over the last two or three years, you didn't get to be that player. And, and Fabio Brini's biggest problem, the thing that impressed me most about his goal yesterday, wasn't the finish as, as wonderful as it was, it was the fact that he withstood the challenge from, from Vincent Company as bad as Company defending was. When Brini first came to Liverpool, he would have went down in that situation. He wouldn't have kept on goal. He wouldn't have went through on goal. And, and that's the point that James makes about playing games regularly. I don't think it's in anyone's best interest for, for Brini now to go back to a club where he is going to be a bit power player, haven't flourished. 
as a, as a regular first teamer. I don't think it would be within Liverpool's or Berini's best interest. I think Liverpool accept that, and I think that. And I, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's the way the manager sees it too. Arsenal dropped points at Stoke, not for the first time. I thought Rory actually made a very nice point about in his uh, in his little uh, uh, column uh, in the game, whereby. Uh, Liverpool are are sort of uh, back in the title race and they're four points back and uh, Arsenal are screwed and they're four points back. But obviously, it's, I presume it's down to momentum. Wenger came out with a Koscielny handball. He, he said that he doesn't. nobody knows what the rules are and it was a gift to Stoke and so on. Maybe it's just me, but the hand, his, hand, his arm is away from his body. He increases his volume. That's a handball. There's, there's, no, there's no debate about this. You're nodding. Does it mean you agree with me, Rory? I always agree with you. Dan. Thank you. Anybody disagree? No? Okay, no. good. I'm right. I think it's a harsh. It is a harsh penalty, and I agree with Vendor that there is a lot of confusion about what the rules are. And yeah, but there's a confusion because people like him keep saying there are con- there's confusion. Possibly. There is no confusion. Well, what should he this- have done? What? What should he have done? Not what? keep his arm away from his body. Yeah, but he, he, and he's before- gone to lunge for the ball. You, you, it's very very hard to lunge for a ball and have your hands at the side because you, you lose balance. You know, his arms are up to keep his balance. You know what? He be- is abnormally high though. It is it? really high. It's really high. I, I know what you mean, James, but I think it is very high. It's, it's not just goes out at an angle, it actually goes up. It really annoys me when, when games get broken down into kind of refereeing controversies when there's like a 2-1 win or a 1-0 win or whatever, and everyone says, oh, the referee decided it. Arsenal would have won that game had they created any chances. Yeah, Arsenal were really poor, I thought, beyond the decision. To be fair to Arsenal, what's up with Charlie Adam? Because I always thought of him before as like uh, a, a very skillful, if somewhat slow, we're well, not very skillful, skillful by British standards, um, <laughs> if, if slow sort of uh, uh, midfielder. We've had like, in the last six months or year, I feel like we've had like like a dozen psychopath moments from him. Um, and, and I thought the stamp on Giroud and possibly the other one earlier, I think it was on Arteta as well. Um, what's up with this guy? Is he, is, is he not as nice as he seems? Is he, does he think Pulis is still there? What's the deal? I, I, I wasn't sure of... <laughs> Does he like this at Liverpool? No, right? The, the stamp on Giroud looks bad. It does look bad, there's no question. I just think it's one of those. You, he is the only man in the entire world who knows whether he actually meant that. If, if People do clumsy things on football pitches all the time. Charlie Adam will have clumsily miscontrolled the ball on Saturday. He will have clumsily landed awkwardly at times. He will have, for me, I thought it looked like it looked bad, but I don't know. And it's. He, but there is, I agree, there is there's a, a lengthy list now, but I do think it goes back further. If you ask Tottenham, and specifically mm-hmm. ask Gareth Bale, uh, there is a list of Charlie Adam incidents where he's, he's, he's done, <laughs> done naughty things. I, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, and in many ways, it's, if it doesn't disappoint me, I like to see players who are competitive. I don't like to see them kick opponents all over the park, but things happen on a football pitch. You're playing defensive midfield, you will have more than your face here. I just think that's the way it is. James, uh, sorry, uh, you, you, you've been there. I need to ask you, a professional footballer who's got coordination and agility above the average person, have you ever done that? Has it ever happened to you that, that, that you know, in, in some tackle or something, you just go and you happen to land right on, on the guy's ankle? All the time, yeah. That, that, that happens all the time. What, what I would say is if he has intentionally done it, you know, in this day and age, you cannot get away with anything. Although he has got away with it, you're going to get banned. It's a, it's as simple as that. It's a so very you're, you're very. So you're suggesting risky. it can happen because I'm, I'm, you, said, you said it happens all the time. Because I, I don't see it happening all the time. I, I, I see most footballers. Did, did you ever go I think and accidentally the key thing is I'm trying, I've, I've seen the incident. I think you have to look at where his eyes are. If his eyes are looking down, 
then you have to question him. If his eyes are looking at the ball or somewhere else, then I think that's the I, key moment. I don't think... I, I, the problem with... I, Steve Wilson called it right on Match of the Day, I think. He said that, as Barrett just said, we can't know whether he meant it on purpose. No one apart from Charlie Adam knows that. You have to balance out the fact that, as James says, his eyes weren't... He didn't glance down and look at Giroud and stamp on him. He seemed to be turning round. I, I believe that Charlie Adam's probably more prone to clumsiness than most other people. Well, where did he think Giroud went? But, if no, 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 if, if you look at Charlie Adams, sorry, if you look at him, he's not the quickest player, so he hasn't got the most nimblest of feet. He's a very talented footballer. But if you look at him over a course of five, ten yards, I wouldn't say he's the quickest, so he's, his oh, feet aren't are like a messy like where he can you but, know, spring off one but foot. But then you do have to, to bring in his previous. That's the problem. It might be that... It's previous it, in the same game, I might add. It might be that in this instance... He, he it wasn't on purpose and it was a mistake. But if you look at his sort of rap sheet, there's a good chance that it's um it's not. Well, just to wrap this up, Mark Hughes, we were all we all sat in here at the start of the season. We we're all uber negative. We we're all like, haha, he signed Eric Peters. He's been injured. He's and Peters isn't that good anyway. Uh, I don't know if that was you, but I don't think it was. No, it might have been Hughesy. But Eric Peters has done. I think you know he's been a regular. And he's been he's been good this season, and Stoke have been good. And I'm not. I don't think they're going to go down, and and they they were very physical. I thought, but not to absurd like put them in prison um, levels. Tony, I, are you impressed at all with with Mark Hughes? He seems to get no, he doesn't seem to get much love from the national media. Not so much impressed with Mark Hughes. I just, I just think that Stoke are Stoke, and and I, I've never had a problem with the way Stoke play football. But they don't I play just, that way anymore. They do, they do, but um, and anyone who watched them against Arsenal, Saturday, if, if you try to tell me that's different to the way he played against Arsenal in the past, the only, the only difference is that Gordy Delap is no longer le- around to launch extra sections of the box with every throw. But Stoke has still played the Stoke way, and, and anyone who, who watches them sees that that is the way they do things. I think if Hughes has done, has, has made one good decision, it's to, to not change things too fundamentally. I know he talked about doing that early on, and they do play possession football here and there but it's still they debate to type as and when well, they need to they also have fullbacks who actually are recycled central defenders and actually I think he did try and pitch. change it Tony at the start didn't he and then realised quickly he thought, you know I'm going to catch a cold here if I do alright enough of this let's get stuck into our debates um, we're going to start with, with, with Saul Campbell who um, he has a book coming out which bizarrely isn't an autobiography it's um, it's an Authorized yeah, weird, biography by you. The guy with the unusual name, Fred, Fred Astaire. No, Simon Astaire. Astaire. Yeah. Do you know this guy? No. Nope. Anybody ever heard of it? Do you think it's a real person or do you think it's Saul he's using a novelist? A, sorry? He's a novelist. He's a novelist. Oh, really? It's not, it's not Saul using a pseudonym? No, it is. He's a genuine novelist. This is why we have Barrett on, does he brings culture? He's, he's Fred's brother. <laughs> there you go. It's very old brother. So the, the, the Sunday Times published an, an extract. There's even there's a video on there as well. If you're, uh, if you're a Times subscriber, you can see Sol actually putting these things in his own words. Hashtag multimedia. Um, exactly. <laughs> We've done so many cross-promotions. Aren't we doing great this show? Um, but anyway, he, 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 did talk about, uh, he did talk about a bunch of things. One sort of the big headline um, that was splashed all over the Sunday Times was um, – he believed that the fact that he's black is the reason that he wasn't England captain for, for a decade. Um, I believe he only got to captain England once, or three, three times, I'm stand corrected, by, by Rory. Now, sort of the visceral reaction on, on Twitter uh, was, oh, look, Sol's going crazy again, like the time he left the game at halftime and Kelly Hoppin and all that, 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 that nuttiness that he's been involved in. Um, the reason he wasn't 
England captain is that he um, is that you know there were there's a generation of Tony Adams and of course Paul Ince who's also black had captained England before him and Rio Ferdinand who's mixed race had captained England after him and blah blah blah. It's obviously very difficult for a bunch of white dudes to examine the the merit of this. But I think there's a fair point which our boss Tony Evans makes. You kind of wonder why did he not speak up about this before? Should he have spoken up? And I think the scary bit was it if he didn't speak up because he thought it would hurt his career. Roy? Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. I think that 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 is it, it's very dangerous to start criticizing him for not saying something during during his career because then if he if he's worried about instit- sort of institutional sublim- almost subliminal racism within the FA, if you then become the, the black man who is Creating creating trouble, then that's not going to help help your the, their perception of you. I don't think anyone at the FA will ever have sat down with any of the managers and said you can't have a black captain. I don't think any of the managers, when choosing their captain, will have thought well I can't have him because he's black. I think what the issue may well be is a more sort of insidious, more structural kind of racism, whereby skin colour feeds into people's subconscious thought processes. And we associate colour with certain traits and certain characteristics, not not in a sort of overt level, not in a way that you'd think you would, you'd know you were doing it. But yeah, you wonder whether, say, not not again, not that say Sven Joran Eriksson looked at Campbell and thought, well, he can't be captain because he's black. But when he was examining the pros and cons of people who could be captain, that there was something in his mind that he wasn't aware of that made him more likely to choose a white man than a black man. I I mean, in, in my reading of it, Tony, I, I thought he had a point. He was incensed when he mentions it specifically when Michael Owen was made was made England captain. I mean, I, I get the impression reading his stuff that he didn't have a problem sort of not being England captain when Tony Adams was there or, or people like that. And I can see his point with Owen. I don't know if it's a race thing as much as it's a marketability thing in terms of at the time people thought, oh look, Owen, everybody's going to love Michael Owen. Who wouldn't love Michael Owen? Let's all jump, you know, let's make him England captain as well. You know, Anybody who'd ever met him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I agree with you, Gab. I, th- I think marketing comes into it, but I think also it's this image of, of archetypal image of an FA representative, and I think that's why Roy Hodgson fitted the image of an England manager to the FA in the way that Harry Redknapp didn't. And I think if you go through appointments through the years, the FA have always made FA appointments, they appoint FA-style people. And I do think that seeps into the, into the consciousness and I think that is about class, I think it's about colour, I think it's about the way people act, the way they behave. And I just think, uh, Saul Campbell, I think, would have been perceived as someone who was difficult someone who is slightly aloof, someone who is not particularly popular in the dressing room. Where the colour comes into it, I have no idea whatsoever, but I can understand why right. he would think that. Okay, yeah. so i, I got to jump in and mention a United player as well, but um, what you said there, right, correct me if I'm wrong, Paul Ince, obviously another great England player, didn't he also have a reputation as a guy who was a bit difficult, a bit of an egomaniac, a lot of people didn't necessarily like him that much, but, um, as a lead, but, but as a leader, he also... And he was also black, by the way. He was he, Clearly, but he was also see, perceived as being a leader. Now, Phil Campbell never, never particularly had that reputation. He was all, if you speak to his former teammates, he was aloof. He was seen as being different. And the FA, England, every Premier League football club, every league club, has always found it difficult to, to deal with those kind of characters. And I, I, you can go through the list. Graham or so would be another one criticised for reading the Guardian. I think that is a very English football thing and I think that seeps into the consciousness probably 
more than Cullen, in my opinion. I was going to say that I, th- I think speaking to people who played with Campbell, that th- th- there probably was a perception among players that he was very intelligent. He was very much a leader with his actions. He was he was a, he was a captain on the pitch when he played. He was kind of. You know, he put his head in in the way. He was a he was a, he was a shouter, he was a talker on the pitch. In the dressing room, he was quite detached. He was a little bit different. And English football doesn't like different. I think those those factors will all. So when whichever manager was sitting down and thinking, right, who's going to be my captain, he will have thought, well, Sol Campbell does this, this, and this. But he's maybe a little bit quiet in the dressing room and all that. And I think that's a factor. But that's irrelevant because all of the people that were captain of England had pros and cons. The issue is whether one of the cons, at whatever conscious Except for level, Bobby Moore. was never no, even he will have had cons. The issue is whether at some point, at what, or at what point, those cons intersect with his colour. So, as you probably know, uh, Greg Dyke and the FA have set up a panel of wise experts to um, help improve and raise standards in the English game. So, um, the Times has done the same, calling a, a crack panel of experts, which includes uh, Ollie Kay, Matt Hughes, Matt Dickinson, of course, uh, Rory K. Smith, who I guess is the most exotic uh, of, the, of the four. Uh, it doesn't include myself or James or, uh, or Tony Barrett, but we want to try to contribute as well if we can. But basically, our panel, has they've been talking to players, coaches, administrators to highlight the problems facing the game and try to get some solutions um, that Greg Dyke is looking for. The neat thing about this is that while Greg Dyke is basically a politician and he has to please uh, the FA and his counselors, people like the lovely Barry Bright, yes, that's really his name, um, and also uh, the Premier League and the England manager, we don't. We, we're actually completely independent and we can tell people what they don't want to hear as well. With that in mind, I want to hand over to you, Roy, because you, 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 you talked about this. How did this come about and can you give us in a nutshell – some of the some of, some of your findings that maybe surprised you, and as well as the findings of of Husey, who I thought had a great spread a couple of days ago. He did, and Matt Dickinson will be writing about the, the influence of money on the game on in Tuesday's newspaper, and then we will have a kind of panel discussion on Wednesday, to which I'm not invited. To which you are not invited, but if you want to submit any correspondence, that would mm-hmm. be greatly welcome. Um, so basically, the idea was, as you say, that that Dred Dyke has announced this commission. It, it is time, I think, that that people in English football started thinking seriously about radical change because something is not working in English football. That That is abundantly clear. At some point in the process, it's not working. Where is it not working? Well, possibly everywhere. Sam Allardyce mentioned this in the Football Footballer Show and he said, people want to change English football. They're not happy with it. But if you actually look at it, look at the Premier League, look at how good it is, this, that and the other... Be careful what you wish for. England qualifying for major competitions, reaching quarterfinals and all this stuff. Everybody watching the Premier League, Premier League bred players going abroad and playing for Real Madrid, like Mr. Gareth Bale or Mr. David Beckham before him. All this stuff didn't happen before. In fact, in the 70s, I know that you weren't even born in that decade, Rory, but uh, England weren't even qualifying for World Cups, right? So no, and Gab, do we honest, really need radical change? Gab, to be honest... I'm aware I am of playing that. devil's advocate here. I, I'm aware of that, obviously, and, and we all know that it's not like England's, England's sort of history at international level is some sort of litany of success. And I personally think that, that the, the two of the biggest things that have to change, one is the expectation level, the understanding of where we stand as a nation, and the, the other is fan culture and what fans want from the game. They're two issues that have to be addressed. But there's no question that if you look at, look at the Premier League, it is getting older, it's getting more foreign. It's a great product, it's great to watch, no one debates that. I would say the quality's dropping, others might not. 
But the fact is that there are more and more English players who are either being lost to the game or not getting a chance at all. And that's something that has to be addressed. The pool of English players that, that, that the national team manager can select from is getting smaller and smaller. English football, in terms of a product, is getting better. The Englishness of it is what is being, being, being I- lost. And to those of you who are English, that's probably important to you. So as a newspaper that's based in London that cares about the game deeply, we thought we would launch our own investigation to, to examine the issues, not necessarily to say we have the solution, but to examine the issues and say, these are the problems, what could we do? Because what will happen with Red Dykes Commission is what happens with all of these commissions. There's been four or, four or five in the last 12 years of these reports, these, look, these looks into English football, and what happens every time is what is threatening to happen with this one, which is that the status quo gets its teeth into it. You get the England manager on the panel who then asks Dyke to delay his findings until after the World Cup because it might disrupt the England squad before the World Cup. What the hell are the England squad going to do in the Has World Cup? Has he really Cup? done this, Uncle Roy? Yeah, that was, the, that was our splash on, on Friday. That they don't want it until after the World Cup because it might disrupt, disrupt the harmony within the squad. That, that that's is appalling. The pro- that is the problem when you, when you introduce that's short appalling. Short-term is it, sorry, thinking. do we know that Roy actually said this and it's not just Greg Dyke making up an excuse and saying like, well, the it, problem, the problem it has they been delayed have, until after the World Cup. It's if they come out of all these changes and England actually go and win the World Cup. Because well, okay, yeah. well, <laughs> what are we going to change? Back to reality. So, yeah. so w- without wanting to sound like <laughs> to be kind of kind of cast as the hipster looking to Germany all the time, the Germans after Euro 2000 introduced their own radical change <laughs> to get more players through. They made they made the World Cup final in 2002. If that was yeah. England, we would have stopped well, the work. I, I, I might suggest because the Germans understood a very basic concept, which which does my freaking head in, is that you don't judge the quality of a country's football movement by whether they make the quarterfinals or the semifinal or the final of the World Cup or not. It's completely idiotic and stupid to do that. Some of the most interesting stuff, in fact, has got nothing to do with the elite, and I think you have to separate the elite from from the, well, the general game because the, there are issues like. I, I was with a mate on Friday night who said that he, he runs his kids' football team. They've not played since November because no one will fund 3G pitches. And that's a massive issue that people aren't having chance to play football because councils and the government and what have you won't put money into to install 3G pitches. And it's a country where it rains quite a lot. Tony, on, on this point, you, you've spoken about I remember you, uh, you writing it. I don't know if it was a blog or what It was a blog a story. and it was brilliant. Right, thank you, Tony. Um... <laughs> About how, I, I think it was in, in Liverpool, like when you were a kid, there were like, I don't know, X million leagues with X teams in it, and now there's a lot fewer. So it's, it's much less of a, uh, of a participation sport. Do, do you really think it's, it's that big a deal? Because there's actually a lot of studies, a lot of studies that show that from a social perspective, it's great to have a million football pitches and get everybody out there playing and women and kids and old people and, and, and special needs people. In real life, if you really, really, really want to do this, you identify the 5,000 best athletes in every age group and you go and you put them in a hothouse and that is how – and you devote all your, your energy and resources to them and that is how you do it. I just think it – my big problem with this whole course of events is that it's created an emotional detachment between the people who play the game, the majority of the people who play the game and are involved with the game and the people at the top who are in charge of this commission – there were not people, there was not a groundswell of opinion that demanded change in English football. There were not people saying, we need a better England team, we need to do better. Everyone would like it, but every, but that is no different to every country in the world. What there was in this country was a feeling at the at the grassroots level where footballers like Ross Barkley are produced, that they were being left behind, that they were not being given the best chance to make the best of kids, that they were 
being given the facilities that they need. And and it's, it, it has become an elitist issue. It's become about the World Cup. It's become about England. It's become about Roy Hodgson. It's become about... And that is the problem in itself. It always boils down to the England, how do England do issue? When the majority of people in this country want to be able to play football the weekend, they want their kids to be able to play on a pitch. They want to have changing right. facilities. And if you get that, if you get that right, which we've never, ever done in this country then surely the improvements go up. James, you're, you're somebody who actually does work with kids as a 14-year-old. I, what I'm curious in getting is, like, obviously your guys at Ipswich have already been pre-selected and Ipswich has a, has a very good youth academy. I, I, the, let, let's say, I, out of 20 kids, I'm assuming perhaps probably more than half will not actually become professional footballers. What do they expect to get out of playing football for Ipswich as opposed to... Uh, playing football outside an academy setting and what do you want them to get well they'll, they'll get better coaching but the main thing you want them to do is it, it's to, to basically enjoy it They're, just go back a little bit I've, I've got a, a 16 year old son as well who, who likes his football as well I think one of the biggest problems we have at the moment is that he come when I was a kid and I come home from school you'd go out and you'd play football if that was in your garden in the street in the park kids don't do that now it's, you tell us where on. you lived so we can put it in context in Suffolk right. a place called near Bury St Edmunds Right. Okay, so you, I would go out and play football with friends after school until it got dark and you'd come in. Kids don't do that anymore. They come in and they press the on button on their PlayStation and they don't go out and play. That That is a general, and I would imagine that's not only in England now, all over the world, that that, that is happening now. Which, as far as changes in the game now, two years ago, the FA, the, the Premier League, got together and they set up the ETPP, which is the Elite Performance player plan and basically what they want to do is to get all the best kids and give them 10 hours uh, 10,000 hours coaching a year thank now, you Syed so we've, we've, we've gone through it's basically copied the Belgium system and Belgium have copied um, and produced all of these good players the coaching now now Tony I'm sure he goes to Melwood I'm sure he's been to Finch Farm the academy setups that those two clubs will have are fun, will be phenomenal the, the coaching that they will get now in these academies is better than it's ever ever been by an absolute country mile you won't see the product you won't see the end product yet but in 10 and 15 years time you will start to see a new conveyor belt of young English footballers coming through these academies it just has to happen with the coach that a big big problem that we have now is that they've, they've got it all set up now is the big big problem now is when they get to 2021 they cannot get into first team football and that is the big hurdle that needs to to be overcome okay you called it the bottleneck Roy and you spoke you wrote eloquently about this in 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 the game um today my obvious question is it's not just English people who face this at 18 19 you can't get first team football I look at it from the outside and say you can drop down you can go abroad and a lot of people from other countries who are very successful at football uh, actually do that on a regular basis. Why can't these people do it? Yeah, I think there's, there's two issues. And as I say, I don't think the point, we're, we're not so hubristic as to say that, that we, we have the answers or that we, or that we know best. But the, the aim of the project was to kind of to, to bring these issues into the public forum. I think with, you're quite right that there are two issues there. One, in terms of dropping down, if you speak to a lot of managers in the lower leagues, as I did, and a lot of academy directors in the Premier League, the Category 1 clubs under, under EPPP, They'll tell you that kind of dro- the dropping down the championship's different, 
lead one, lead two, there's no point. It's not the same game. You're not learning the same skills in lead one and lead two that you need okay, to well, if, 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 you're, if you're good enough to play in the Premier League one day, presumably well, you're good enough to play in the Championship at age well, 20, that, 20, right? That, so, de- that depends on the structures in place to get you out on loan there. That It depends on which club you join. You can't be sure of the, of the right coach in for, every club. For, forget loan, yeah, just okay. ask for a transfer. Sorry, mate, can I just cut in? Okay, so we're, we're given guidelines by the FA and it's all done in six-week uh, uh, cycles, what to coach kids, etc., etc. And a big thing is he's playing through the thirds, playing out from the back. If you go and watch any academy teams now, it is virtually drummed into them. When the goalkeeper gets it, he has to throw the ball out and you have to play through midfield, which which is great and it's a good football education. And if you're going to go and play in the Premier League, that, that happens. But what happens is these kids then get to a level of 19-20. They then have to go down to League 2 football. But they don't have to go down to League 2 football. Or League 1. You know what, they, 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 this really gets my goal. It's well, where they're going to go then? Nothing, where right? they going to go? I'm sorry. If, if you're 19 year if you're 19 years old and you're and you're at Manchester United, if you're supposedly good enough to to make a difference to the England team, which is what Greg Dyke obviously cares about, then I would imagine that you should be able to go to the Championship or you should be able to go to the continent. Well, hang on, right? Can, can I just address that issue, Gab? Because I think you're right on that, and I don't want you get you're obviously getting worked up. There is an issue in terms of English players refusing to look abroad. That, that, that it's very much a one. It's a one-way conversation that we say, "Well, all these foreigners are coming here, taking our jobs, not letting our players play." That naturally means there are opportunities to go and play elsewhere if you're prepared to. There is a cultural issue there that English, well, in fact, people in general. Same with the managers. English managers can't get jobs. Go and see if you can get a job abroad. Why not? It's not also a financial issue in that young English players are paid a lot more than young foreign yeah, players. Be a fact, so, yeah, that's so a fact. So, when foreign clubs look for a player on loan. And they think we're going to have to pay two thirds as wages. They don't want to pay six thousand pounds a week for an unsigned eighteen-year-old yeah. guy back from Grimsby. Well, but I'm sorry, but I'm not going to have too much sympathy for people who are sitting there and are stuck in this bottleneck and are, and are, and are crying and moaning to to Rory K. Smith when these guys are making ten grand a week and never playing. And they don't want to. They don't want to take a, a, even a temporary cut in wages uh, to go somewhere. They don't believe in themselves enough to go down if that's what it takes. I don't think money's an issue. Make... I, I don't think. So he's know. lying then when he says no, money's no, no, an no, issue. no. They're both it, lying. It, it's... Barrick, Smith, liars. Money's not the issue. That all the, there are certain young kids who have not kicked a football that are on ridiculous amounts of money, and the reason they are because they have to be poached from other clubs. So that, that's. But I don't think money is that the the total is opportunities. Mm. That is the big issue here. Now, the problem is coaching will only get you so far. You need to go and play match day games. You need to go and get to that pace of first team football. You need to go and play men's football. That's basically what you need to do. And if you look at the England team, half the vast majority of the England team now, if you go through the team, have actually come through the lower leagues, whether it be on loan or come through clubs. Very few now literally go straight. At you. I think it's almost impossible so it's for, for a player, for a 19-year-old to go straight into Man City's team or to go straight into Chelsea's team and be able to... You don't get chance to straight away think, well, you know, we, we'll give no, you an opportunity. And if you make a mistake, don't worry about it. But, but that's normal because those are two of the best teams in the yeah, world that you mentioned. The problem with it is it's a broad, uh, such a massive topic and there are, there are so many different ways of looking at it. I think we're not... You've got to remember, we're not talking about the Wayne Rooney's, the Theo Walcott's, the Luke Shaw's, the players who will make it. You're going to get a handful of players. You're talking about Mark Albrighton. You're talking about, do you know who you're talking about? You're talking about John Flanagan, right? So the very least that academies can do, and I'm going to steal, steal a thought from Barrett here, the very least academies should be able to do at every club is produce your backup right back. That is the least that an academy should be able to do. If you look at the figures of, of academy graduates who are, are actually in their, their club senior teams, that there's no, I think Everton and Liverpool are, are quite high, slightly artificially so, just they've, they've named a lot of youngsters on their bench. West Ham are up there, Southampton are up there. Everyone else is one, two, three. Crystal Palace 
I think they've got either naught or one homegrown players in their senior squad now who are England eligible, right? That's Crystal Palace in the middle of South London. Enough of that. Time for some quick hits. Please keep answers to 25 seconds or less. Andre Shirley bangs in three goals after being on the shelf for most of the season as Chelsea rolls to win at Craven Cottage. Rory, will we see more of him now? Yes, a little bit, but I'm not sure whether he will ever command a, a regular place in Chelsea's first team. Yeah, I'm not sure he was uh, Mourinho's first pick, which is why they brought in William in the first place. Liverpool are sort of still in it too, eh? They go marauding at the St. Mary's and Suarez nets his own special hat-trick, scores one, sets up one, and wins a penalty. Tony, are you a believer? Give me percentages. Percentages. Liverpool, Liverpool to win the Premier League, 2013-14. Go. 33%. I think Liverpool have got a one in three chance, simply because they're out of Europe. They're out of all the cups. They've got nothing else to play for but the league. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson has piped up uh, from L.A., no less, to give David Moyes his vote of confidence after last week's Greek horror show. James, is Sir Alex keeping the right distance from the club? Because um, I wonder if he'd be better off further away and just never speaking or being out of the club altogether, or maybe a little more hands-on and actually working with Moyes. Or has he got it just right? No, I think he's, he's got it just right. I don't think you can dim, diminish a figure like Sir Alex Ferguson. He's, on, he's a, a director at the end of the day. Um, he's come out. He's very positive. He's backed David Moyes. I think David Moyes will be there next season. Manchester United will have a lot of money to spend in the summer. They will bring in some big names, and they will come back next summer. I can next, sense the the, the positivity in your voice. Nicholas Anelka gets a five-match ban for his canal gesture. Right, we haven't seen the written reasons yet, and I think it's insane to go and uh, give an opinion on this until we actually see them. But I'm going to ask you anyway. Do five games sound right to you? I don't know because I'm not quite sure what the logic is in in kind of the, the tariff of games for a ban. Like what what's right? So if it had been six, would we all have been like, oh, that's fine, that's perfect. If it had been eight. What, like, what's the actual difference? It's just three extra games. It doesn't mean anything, uh, so I don't know. I might add, if it's supposed to be a deterrent, I don't think somebody goes out and thinks, ooh, well, if it'll cost me six games, I won't do it, but if it costs me three games, I will do it. Christian Bentege is back with a bang as he scores two and Villa come from behind to beat Norwich. Tony, Norwich's fixture list is horrid. Are they done with the Premier League? No, simply because the way they performed against Spurs gives them a chance of beating anyone at home. I think their home form be crucial. Uh, I've no, they could actually be doomed. I've changed my mind mid-through. Yeah, they could be the one that sinks. All right, sorry, Delia. Alan Pardew has been fined a hundred grand for appearing to headbutt David Myler Newcastle's 4-1 win over Hull. Uh, managers lose their cool. This guy has previous, at least on the touchline, usually picking on older men like Martin O'Neill, um, Arsene Wenger, and of course Manuel Pellegrini, who he so classily called an old c- um, <laughs> James, it's true. Am I, are you laughing? Am I lying? It's true. Uh, James, you ever seen anything like that? And do you wish that uh, maybe Pardew would pick on somebody his own size? Um, I've seen it inside change rooms, but I haven't seen it on the touchline. I've never seen that before, no. Inside changing room? Like, but a on your own fighting. players, yeah. Players and you know, managers squaring up and... I wouldn't say headbutting, but there has been. But not physical. in public. Yeah, no, not in public. And that wasn't a proper headbutt, was it? No, no. Yeah, Spurs squeeze out a win over Cardiff as Roberto Soldado is on the score sheet. Rory, he speaks Spanish and his name ends in a vowel, so you and I have to love him. But truth be told, are you a bit disappointed by the former Valencia man? Not disappointed because I'm not surprised that he struggled. He's a penalty box player and the way that Spurs were set up for a long time this season wasn't right for him. Uh, I think he'll be disappointed with this season. I think it's possible a place in the World Cup squad. And I think Spurs might cut their losses in the summer and sell him back to Spain. There you go. 
FIFA's international board met, and the main significant thing they did at the behest of the lovable Alex Horn from the Football Association was to ban players from lifting their shirts to reveal undergarments with messages on them, like the one Billy Sharp dedicated to his infant son who had died two years earlier. Tony, don't they have better things to do? No, exactly. It, it's a typical FIFA, UEFA, the FA, they always look for the things that don't matter and crack down upon them. Uh, if a player wants to lift his shirt and have a political slogan, good luck to England play this week. James, you're my last hope since Rory is a foreigner-loving football hipster and Tony isn't English, he's Scouse. What are you hoping for from England on Wednesday night? Please don't tell me I don't care about England, I only care about um, United. No, 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 I won't say that. I would like to see uh, players given their opportunities. I'd like to not see a, a friendly which is littered with changes and people coming on and off. Which I'd like to see Luke Shaw play. Gab, one for you. There was a Madrid derby in La Liga this week, a fiery one. Que pasó? Uh, I thought this was actually one of the best games I, I've seen this season. It, it finished 2-2, which is, uh, I mean, Barcelona also won, but it's pretty huge for Madrid because uh, they maintain their uh, their lead. Uh, everything went swimmingly at first. They, they they took the lead through through Benzema, then Atletico stormed back. Gabby shooting from about a billion yards out. There was a bunch of controversial incidents, many of them involving uh, Diego Costa. Uh, there was tremendous intensity, um, I thought, in in this game. Um, and uh, and yeah, people look at it and be like, oh, there's diving and rolling around. Yeah, but it was diving and rolling around. I thought with a purpose. It's not something you want to see. But I thought actually the referee in a really, really difficult game, and despite uh, getting a couple things wrong, perhaps, I think he did a really good job at keeping the lid on it, keeping it entertaining, and, um, and I think Real Madrid just took one huge step closer to the title. That's all we've got time for this week. My thanks to James Scowcroft, Tony Barrett, and, of course, Rory K. Smith. Another reminder that you can see this show live on the 6th of March at the Playhouse Theatre in Liverpool. In fact, it's going to be even better than this show because James Scowcroft and uh, will be replaced by Peter Reed. You don't disrespect, right? Reed, he's more of a legend than you are. And of course, Rory Smith will be replaced by Tony Evans, who's uh, obviously our boss, so he's far better than Rory Smith. Tony, it'll still be you and it'll still be me. So remember, tickets cost £5 for Times Plus members and £7.50 for non-members. To book, you can visit www.cc.com ctickets.com slash the times or better yet call 0871-620-4025 we're all on twitter we all love hearing from you we all respond personally to every single tweet uh james you're is it scoey 1975 c-o-w-y-1975 there you go rory uh, at tony evans times there you go and uh tony uh, at tony Barrett times there you go <laughs> we'll be back next week Bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash comment central and search Did You Read to subscribe on iTunes.